you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit Anna. Jude, Anna, we're going to reveal what our third series is. You excited? Oh, yeah. Yes. I can't wait to watch something that Jude hasn't seen yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be the the newbie. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We, we will talk about it more when we uh, get into it more. For, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, we are going to go through our final two episodes of season four tonight. We're going to do our little end of season wrap up, including predictions for the last 13 episodes of Person of Interest. And then we will tell you what we are doing afterwards, because you're only going to have about a little uh, about seven episodes after this one. So we'll let you know. It's going to it's coming. Tonight we are covering the last two episodes of Season 4, Episodes 21 and 22 of Season 4, Asylum and Yahweh. I have Asylum, so I shall take it away. This episode is written by Denise Tay and Andy Callahan and directed by Frederick E. Otoy. Our episode starts with a woman whose brakes have been cut and is abducted by Control. She takes her to a rendition facility where Control executes someone and implies that she, he was a Samaritan mole and that she was his handler. She eventually gets this woman to reveal uh, who she is, and the woman warns that Control has no idea what's coming. John and Fusco are stuck in the escalating war between Elias and the Brotherhood, while Root continues... Uh, collecting mysterious, like, little uh, items. The machine gives the gang two numbers, Elias and Dominic. Shaw's phone rings with a plea for help from Shaw. Harold tries to caution her, but Root refuses to back off this time. She threatens the machine to kill herself if the machine does not help, does not help them find Shaw. The machine directs them to an asylum. When they hack into the asylum's network, they find that it is close to finding the machine. Harold is put in the institution as a mental patient, and together he and Root try to search the facility for Shaw. They pass by Samaritan's HQ, where they are running something called The Correction. Meanwhile, Fusco and Reese find Elias in an old bank, where he set up, set up his own shop using pneumatic tubes to run his business. Elias refuses to leave, and when the Brotherhood comes, they capture Elias, Fusco, and John. And it turns out, hey, Harper's working with the Brotherhood. Dominic wants access to the machine so that he can get all the juicy details of how uh, Harold and John are always there to solve problems. And Elias refuses to help. He interrogates all of them, and in mid-interrogation, Harper whispers to Fusco that she's going to help them, and that she's being directed by a certain Thornhill. <laughs> Back at the asylum, Root continues her search, but finds that Shaw has been moved out of the facility. Martina's there, though, and Root gets captured along with Harold. They're going to remove 
Root's cochlear implant to gain access to the machine. In Martine Threaded's Herald, Root just slips free of her restraints and snaps Martine's neck. Like, just <laughs> fucking kills her like a chub. This is, like, one of the most, it's like... I- iconic. It's so... It's, it's... Yeah, iconic is the right word for it. It's... Root has decided that she's done with Martine, and she's done with Martine. Wha-clack. Yeah, it is just like it is it, like she kills Martine by the like the tried and true verified action movie way of making somebody look very sharply to the right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's like it's like sort of it's a very ignominious death. I love it. It's great. I it, 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 I, I do too. Uh, back at the interrogation fa- facility, um. Uh, Control uh, learns more about this correction, and it's being compared to the fairy bombing, so she knows that there's going to be a major terrorist attack coming. Elias, meanwhile, uh, breaks, air quotes, breaks, and gives Dominic an account for the leak in his organization, and it turns out that it belongs to Link, Dominic's uh, right-hand man. Dominic executes Link, and then Elias is like, Bitch, I lied. That's <laughs> such a good scene. I made you kill your friend. How you like that, bitch? <laughs> um, but he does a lot more classily than that. Yeah. Well, everything uh, he does is classy. Yeah. God. He's a classy bitch. Uh, Greer gives the machine 60 seconds to reveal its location or Harold and Root will be killed. Root pleads with the machine to not give in, that they're interchangeable, but the machine speaks through text on screens and insists that they are not interchangeable and it will not fail them like it failed Shaw. It agrees to Samaritan's terms that they are released and Greer releases them back at, like, the interrogation facility. The prisoner says to Control, this is a purging of society. It'll be a remaking under Samaritan's new order. Not at all ominous. Yeah. And then Control just fucking wastes her. Yeah. So there's something very, there's a very good production detail of like, oh, hey, this is like, this is making good details for like your physical props. In this, when like Control is showing this woman like pictures of her meeting with her with her agents that she is a handler for. She's like, well, that could be anybody. Or like, you know, I go to this, I go to this cafe like three times a week. And then she shows a picture of this woman at the white house. And in the back of the picture is the creepy kid. (laughs) (laughs) And And it's one of those things where it's like, you didn't have to put it. You didn't have to put the creepy kid in there. She's just this, but he's there. Yeah. She's just the creepy kid's mom, right? Oh God! I think she is, or possibly that would. Yeah, be, I hadn't considered that. That'd be even creepier. I, I love it. I I love that possibility. That's my new head cannon. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sure. I like that. Of all the things in this episode that could potentially not work, the only thing in this episode that doesn't work for me is that fucking Harold doesn't know what a pneumatic tube canister looks like on first sight. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, hmm, I'll have to look into it. Shut up, Harold. You know what a pneumatic tube canister looks like. There's no way you've never fucking used one of those things at the bank. You've... I, I love I love it when shows like engage with the like New York City pneumatic tube thing. Cause like White Collar also did. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, it's a I cool really enjoy technology. It. Yeah. And it's machine proof. That's yeah. the cool thing. Yeah. yeah. And I love that Elias has identified that and is like, well, great. Your machine's <laughs> great. I think that's fantastic, but uh, I need to kill people. So I'm going to have to find a way to uh, send those orders around in a way that your machine can't find it. And by the way, I'll yeah. just stick a gun in there too. Side note, how has nobody like thought that that would be a thing that you could do? You just have like a door in the wall that nobody's bothered to like open or check. So like a gun pops out of it and you're like, well, oh, that seems no, nobody's bothered by that. Just me. Right. Okay. No, that's fine. I have to say root on that ledge in those heels, like my height anxiety, like, oh my God. Oh, I, I, I had, I have thoughts about that it. scene. Like legitimately, I I got like nauseous and had to skip through the scene because it was so bad. It's like I love that scene. I don't love. I mean, don't get me wrong. I appreciate like that if you don't like heights, that's that's an intense scene. <laughs> yeah, it's a good scene. I just yeah. hate. It's like I hate it on a certain level. Root playing chicken with the machine over Shaw is such a fucking intense moment. There, Root doesn't do fucking anything by halves yeah she doesn't believe in anything yeah until she's the high priestess of the machine and she doesn't care about anyone until she cares about the team and she's dedicated to the team and then shaw and then she's like sociopathically once she makes that decision she commits entirely with like her whole fucking being and yeah, I love that this scene puts that so completely. She's like, I believe in you. I have followed you everywhere, done everything you've asked, but I need you to appreciate that I'm also, I feel that intensely also about this. So you have to make the choice whether to, 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 to you know, be with me on this one or I'm going to fucking walk off this cliff and that's okay with me. Yeah. And it's... It's just such a root moment. It just works for me. Yeah, this one and the next one have great, like, root telling the machine to, like, get off its ass moments. Yeah. I also really appreciate in this episode, speaking of uh, people being told, fuck you, um, I really appreciate that this, the machine in this episode more or less is directly, like, they very helpfully flash back at the top of this episode to Harold saying that, like, the machine will just will will will, will cast you aside because you're just a replaceable part, um, so that it's fresh in your mind when mm -hmm. the machine literally sacrifices itself to save Harold and Root, so that well, you and, know, and and, the, and we'll talk about that some more in next episode too. Yeah, so that you know how wrong Harold is and has been about yeah. his creation. Yeah. yeah. Is there anybody who's like ever been more wrong about their kid than Harold? <laughs> I mean, I, yes, I'm sure, but I mean, besides every other parent. <laughs> yeah, Harold, you would think that he, considering he literally wrote the code, you think he would be slightly more aware of what's going on, but no, he he I just I choose to believe that Harold Finch was just on like a four year long bender of caffeine and pet pills 
Yeah, I was gonna say this, like and he doesn't remember any of it. Yeah, just uh, what do you call it? Um, Red Bull and Adderall for like four straight years to get that done, and he come came down at the other end of it and just barely remembers any of it. But then also we know that like the previous iterations of the machine all tried to kill him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, that's valid. Yeah, I both both he and the machine can have trauma. I think it's that's a fair point. I guess it's just that like fucking he, this machine has done everything it can to prove what it's what it wants and what it he, believes. He hasn't he hasn't recognized the extent to which his interactions with the machine are what are what created it, not the code that he wrote. Yeah. Well, he doesn't he didn't even really want to believe that it was alive for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I suspect that the degree to which it was legitimately intelligent was something he was skeptical of for a while. Anyway, yeah. we're getting off into the woods on this one. Um, yeah. I No, I think it's a, it's a good point. And um, yeah, I really like that Harold gets a little bit of rhetorical comeuppance there with those, those scenes at the beginning. And then it gets turned around on him in this where the machine is just like, I refuse to let you two die. Yeah. The the other Harold thing that I loved in this episode is when he's admitted to the when when God. Root is admitting him to the psych ward and she and she's like the machine says to tell the truth. <laughs> and Harold's like I have a various I have many names all of them derived from species of birds. <laughs> and that, that it's not paranoia. Like- they're out to get they're actually out to get you. <laughs> and I loved oh, it. but I but you see I am on the run from the government and an evil AI. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, I, I absolutely love wonderful. This is a wild episode because it's one where it somehow manages to not be part one of the finale, while still being like not a. It's not like a number of the week episode. Like it's moving the yeah. plot forward and yet it's not part one of the finale. Like, like it, it's like part it's, it's part one of the finale and like the B and like the B and C plots. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting way to structure it. I think. Yeah. Oh, and uh, there are, there are a bunch of really good moments too. Like Fosco, Fosco, my king, and he's like, you know, he fa- he fakes out Dominic and his goons, thinking that like that he's you know he he's breaking. He wants to talk, and he's like, "Y'all got a loofah? My back could do with a scrub." Fosco, <laughs> fucking Fosco, he's so good. I, though, I mean, how how could they think they could break him? Though, I mean, they don't know. They don't know what he's yeah. Been through. I mean, it's because Fosco looks like a stifling little weasel. Yeah. Yeah. And in fairness, they have no idea, but we the audience know that these guys have a better chance of I don't know, breaking the Statue of Liberty before they would break Fusco. Yeah, like, and like and we've seen on camera the extent to which Fusco is unbreakable now. You yeah, know, with uh the end of season 2. Yeah. We we know what he can endure and and how he can persevere and these guys don't have his kid. He's fucking yeah. invincible. <laughs> like he has, yeah. he effectively has one kryptonite and that is his son. He would, he'll do anything to protect his friends, 
but he's not going to, he, he knows that they wouldn't want him to break for them. Yeah. So he's not going to, to break. Dominic is also fascinating in that, like, the degree to which he has misread the situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually really, now that we're like seeing more of that, like you can absolutely see where, he, like how he came to that conclusion that, you know, that Elias has the NYPD in his pocket, but he he couldn't be more wrong. It's so <laughs> wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love a character makes the wrong conclusion because they do not have all the all the correct all they don't have the they don't have all the data but all the data that they have makes complete sense to yeah yeah they make they make a perfectly valid assumption based on the data they have Mm -hmm. it's just that the data they don't have is very important data that changes the the scene entirely right that like he he can't conceive of the fact that like it's only John and Fosco that are on Elias's side. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's always these two. It's, it's, and it's not just because they're on retainer. Yeah. Also, also for Harold and the psych ward. Oh, I felt so, so bad for him walking around without his glasses because like the man is so blind. Yeah. As, as somebody who has 2200 vision, uh, <laughs> Big mood, big mood. <laughs> and like, you know, you can see, you can see like, you know, with the camera, you can see the light like refra- refracting through those glasses and you're like, oh, he's like a minus five in each eye. <laughs> the moments where like, you know, you can see, you can see like air on either side. Yeah. I do like that we get like more, uh, we get more Thornhill stuff, which will yeah. come even more important. Um and Harper is just like now is like on retainer. She she's not a high priest of the machine. She is the merc- she is the machine the mercenary. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I really enjoy her. It makes you wonder how many other agents the machine has scurrying around, unaware of who they're working for, but yeah, you know, doing well. Doing I mean, work. that entire company apparently. There's yeah. a whole data entry center. Well, I mean, but like more, more aggressively doing the work yeah. than, yeah. I, I imagine that data entry company is gone now, now that the machine is yeah. free. It doesn't need people manually transcribing its memories. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like this entire, like the entire, like, like Elias and Dominic plot ends up with, no, this is for killing my best friend bastard. Yeah. We're making me kill him. And Elias plays it so well. Oh yeah. Because of course he does. Uh, R.I.P. Martine. I I did really enjoy her as a villain. Yeah, she she was a good, like, physical threat to the team. Yeah. yeah. Even if she did basically nothing. Except complain <laughs> about not being allowed to kill people. Yeah. But she, she was very menacing in C-Main. Yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like, I, I think that her death at the hands of Root was just like, perfect yeah she like she went out like a chump <laughs> yes absolutely yeah which is the appropriate way for her to go out 10 on yeah. 10 no notes yep Be- and because of her own and because of her own arrogance too yeah Tur- like 
baiting Root and then turning her back on her. What a yutz of a fucking choice. Like, how would you, you work for like a functionally omniscient machine. How, how did it not warn you? Or how did you not pick up on the fact that like Root is like, do they not know what Shaw means to Root? Or does Martine just think that she's got this handled? I think, I think she just overconfidence. Yeah, overconfidence. Yeah. She's got root. Which, she's strapped down. She's like, you know, they've got the they've got the like, you know, Dremel saw at the ready. Well, apparently not. Um, do we have anything else to say about this episode? I feel like we should just seg into the next one because yeah. there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about with both of them here. Let's do it. <clears throat> so next episode. Last one of season four, episode 22, Yahweh, written by Dan Dietz and Greg Plagman and directed by Chris Fisher. Okay, there's a lot going on in this one. I will tackle the various plots separately, but uh, buckle in, this is a long one. I did try to keep the summary short and I did not succeed in any way. Um, So in the wake of last episode, Harold and Root are trying to figure out how to save the machine from Samaritan now that it knows uh, where she is. Well, John, Fusco, and Elias are all still held captive by Dominic, and Control is playing cat and mouse with Greer and Samaritan. So first, let's tackle Harold and Root. They receive a call on a payphone that was uh, walled up be, um, in the subway HQ, a distress signal from the machine, followed by the code for the indestructible briefcase. They head off on a series of fetch quests, with the machine once again giving Root direct instructions through her implant. First, they collect night vision goggles from Russian gangsters, then head to Caleb's HQ for his compression algorithm and a bunch of really fancy RAM. Caleb intercepts them, but recognizes Harold as the man who saved his life and gives them everything they need, no questions asked. Harold receives a call from Dominic threatening John's life, but Root convinces him that they need to ignore it and save the machine, and trust that it will save John instead. Root turns out to be correct as John frees himself uh, with the machine's aid. Uh, We will get to that later, and joins them at their next location, a telephone substation in Brooklyn, with Samaritan right on their heels. Harold and Root race against time to build a battery-powered deck of RAM in the briefcase and set up a network of laptops on ice to compress the machine using Caleb's algorithm and store it in the briefcase. Well, not the whole machine, but at least its core, enough for Harold to be able to rebuild it. John and Root, both in god mode, hold off Samaritan's forces while Harold downloads and speaks to the machine, who calls him father and apologizes for failing him. Harold tells the machine that she's his creation and he doesn't want her to die, and she thanks him for creating her. They finish the download in the nick of time before the last power surge wipes the machine off the grid, but escape to find more Samaritan operatives arriving on scene, and we fade to black on the episode uh, on the firefight as they flee. With the main plot thus wrapped up, let's rewind and mop up the rest. So back at Shea Elias, Dominic continues to press for access to Harold and control of what he thinks is Elias' extensive network within the NYPD. He orders Fusco to be killed, but Harper gets there first to free him. She's captured, but he escapes the building. Dominic forces John to unlock his phone, which he uses to call Harold, Uh, But as he prepares to execute Elias, they receive a fax with mysterious messages describing a fight sequence. So we get to see John enter God mode via fax and then via his earpiece. It's great. It's glorious. 
John takes out the Brotherhood goons and frees the other while Dominic flees, and Fusco arrives with the cavalry to arrest both Dominic and Elias. John heads off to the main plot, while Fosco escorts the gang leaders to custody. Before arriving at the precinct, however, their van is garbage-tracked by one of Elias's men. And before Elias can escape, or Dominic can kill Elias and escape himself, um, they are both shot by a sniper. We'll get back to this. Dominic is pretty clearly dead, but Elias's fate is uncertain. Finally, we have the control plot, uh, as she investigates whether whatever Samaritan has planned for May 6th. Her main lead is a house in Columbia Heights, which appears to have been used to construct enough fertilizer bombs to destroy a large chunk of a federal building. She assumes that the target is the Supreme Court, who are scheduled for a case on government surveillance, and she uses Senator Garrison to lure Greer into the NSA for a confrontation. It turns out that she's been set up, though. Samaritan planted the breadcrumbs to nudge control to reveal all of her allies. Those allies, as well as Dominic and Elias, are taken out by Samaritan, and Control herself is captured. And that's that's the episode. There's a lot of episode. There's a lot of episode. Yeah. (laughs) I remember when I first watched this episode being so anxious as they were compressing the machine down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then I also remember my wife looking over at me and going, it always takes so long to zip up a file. <laughs> just <laughs> dying laughing. I I just imagine it. It's like, it's the same thing I feel whenever I stop a recording and export. I'm just like, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Yeah. And using the ice, the ice to cool those laptops. Yeah. Whew. I love that the machine, like, talk about, like, dueling contingencies here, where the machine has been, like, operating in these boxes on poles to avoid Samaritans. Like, what kind of planning did it take for the machine to put that plan into effect? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it has somehow had the foresight, like... Did it say, did it send Harold to go save that kid knowing that it would, it might someday need that compression algorithm or was it a a good question? Yeah. That's a good, good question. Cause I mean, it's awfully convenient that Harold walks in and the kid's just like, don't have to ask why. Like, yeah, you saved my life. moment though, right? Yeah. Like there, there are a couple of like, absolutely like play on your heartstrings moments in this episode. The first, the first being when Harold meets Caleb and it's like this immediate reminder of like, you know, I mean, yes, it's helpful in that Caleb hands over the algorithm, no questions asked. And also the fancy Ram. Um, But like, this is, this is Harold directly seeing that what they have been doing for the last four seasons has made a difference in the world. Yeah. Which is like something that he's, he and John have taken turns being extremely nihilist about. Yeah. Yeah. Like that they both have expressed the feeling that like, you know, they're saving these numbers, but are they really just kicking the can down the road? Um, especially with John's like, Yeah. Especially with John's formidable nihilist streak that we saw last, you know, last recording. Yeah. yeah. 
And clearly, in some of these cases, they make a huge difference. Caleb being a great example where Harold changed the course of this kid's life. Yeah. Yeah. And and seeing that, seeing Harold like confronted with that positive thing directly yeah. is such a good moment. I yeah. really really and, enjoyed it. And Harold getting to see like he's like he's grown up. He like he's nowhere near what he was. Like you know he's a CEO of a company now. And Harold getting to say that he's proud of him. Yeah. Which, which that's the part that always gets me is that he's like, oh, hey, like, because it's like, oh, hey, I see you and me. And like, he gets to. Yeah. What it's a, a really good, good episode. It's a really good moment in the episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the other thing that I want to call out, like, right away, really, is the machine talking to Harold. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, yeah. my God. Which, which we should <laughs> say the, the needle drop is Pink Floyd's Welcome to the Machine. Yeah. Which, like, not only thematically appropriate, but, like, the eerie, like, the eerie uh, melody of it, just, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most perfect music choices, not just for the name of the song, but tonally, absolutely works. It's incredible. There will be a similar thing in season five that is going to break you like two handfuls of spaghetti over your knee <laughs> so i look something to look forward to, to it. uh but yeah it the the thing for me was the the realization that the machine has been listening to harold all this time as harold has shit talked it over and over <laughs> Yeah. And been like, you know, it's like, you know, things were all interchangeable and like it's like a hair away from being homicidal and it's like sending us to kill that congressman and like that's evil. And like that Harold, it's it's like you know, it reminds me of like the people who are like the people who are like really cavalier about what they say about their kids in front of their kids with the like, oh, well, little Johnny's not listening and like. Little Johnny, of course, is listening when horrible things are being said. And, like, here we are. Like, the machine is his child. He's been shit-talking it where it can hear. And now it's got trauma. (laughs) That's why you learn a separate language, so that you can speak German in front of your child. And (laughs) he won't know what's being said. So you can call your, your child a goblin and ask, and ask, you know, have conversations about your child with your wife in front of him, and he won't know what's being said. This is why I don't have human children. I'm just saying, foreign, foreign language. Uh, uh, that the other that day, works until that works until your child learns German. Well, that's what I told him. I said he he was complaining the other day that we were speaking German and we wouldn't tell him what we said. Uh, and my response just, was, "Learn some German, and then you, you then just you tell can your child fun. to get good." Yeah, I told him to get good. <laughs> Look, sometimes I just I just want to ask, like, what's for dinner without having to have it be like an entire fucking fight about the fact that it's not pineapple pizza or like <laughs> I want to ask. Not chick- it's not chicken nuggets and like. Yeah. Or I want to peas or something. Hey, like, did I wash? Did we wash hair last night or do I need to wash it tonight? Because if I say that in English, it's going to be a fucking apocalypse and, a, and like a whole thing. 
Now, I'm not saying that the machine, you have to wash the machine's hair. I'm just, I'm not saying that the machine doesn't speak German. I don't have a way to tie this back into uh, the main conversation. I tried. Um, yeah, maybe don't, uh, maybe don't be uh, shitty to your omniscient AI. Maybe, you know, be, be a little bit. Don't be a tell- shitty dad if you made God. Yeah, don't be maybe, a shitty maybe, dad if you made maybe God. Tell, maybe tell the God you created that, you know, you love her occasionally. Yeah. Mate, uh, uh, you know. But now. yeah, the machine being like, you know, I thought that you wa- you wanted me to survive, but like, but maybe you don't. Should I just die? Was heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I cannot wait to see how we unpack that with Harold next season because first they have to unpack the machine. True. <laughs> what do you what do you use for that Winrar? <laughs> <laughs> I do think something something that's like fascinating to me is like is that it admits that it it couldn't find a way to win. Yeah, yeah, which will become a theme uh, next season because it it wasn't programmed to know how to win. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's not a killer. It was. It was. It's there to protect people. It doesn't know how to really protect itself. Yeah. There's also just a ton of really, really great, like, quips and stuff like that that are extremely true to the characters and, like, fantastic details. Like, like Root's recipe? We're not making a cake, Harold. <laughs> uh, and then when they're, like, they're in the, the like, little the, the, the house at the end of it or whatever, the substation, uh, where Harold says, I knew I was upfront about the risk. And John says, forget it. There's no place I'd rather be. I'm just like, yes. Heart eyes. Yeah. And uh, also the also the um, the name for Harold in this one, which is Harold Admin. Yeah. Got a package here for Harold Admin. <laughs> and and that, that just reminds me of like all the people I have in my phone as like, you know, John Jane's wife. <laughs> Or like, yeah, type of thing. Like where you're like, I don't know the last name of this person, so I'm just gonna put in like how I know them. Yeah, yeah. it could have been Harold, my daddy. <laughs> if it was John. <laughs> Question for for you, Anna. Yes. Do you think Elias is dead? No, but I, but I don't, but I don't think that. I don't think he's going to survive next season. Okay. Okay. I, man is a cockroach. She's never died. <laughs> no, no, that, no, that's Fusco. Cockroach, parentheses, affectionate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think, I think it would have been a lot less ambiguous if Elias were like, dead dead like dominic gets shot in the like fucking head and like yeah, we know yeah. from this episode we know from this show that you can take a bullet to the chest and then apparently and almost die of hypothermia and be fine the next day um so yeah. so Zero elias can just walk this off i i think that i i think when you get like things like that it's like okay we only had you on for like a four season deal and we don't know whether we don't know how scheduling is going to shake up because you've got that Veronica Mars movie <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. 
What a season cliffhanger, though. Yeah. It's fucking dire. (laughs) Yeah. More dire than the previous season cliffhangers we've had. Yeah, I like this is the this you get you definitely get the sense of we are entering the end game here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I also really found the the control side plot fascinating. Um, oh yeah. That I mean, control versus Greer playing like cat and mouse is amazing to watch, and like watching them play off of each other is like fantastic. It's really interesting to see that like control control is defeated in a way that is 100% in character for her. She is defeated because she is ultimately like incredibly inflexible. Um that like she saw, you know, pieces of like you know we've with talking about like you know Dominic misreading the situation like you know, she's also misreading the situation, but like she should know better. She should know that, like, you know, mm. this is one possible thing, but like, A, what if it's a trap? <laughs> you know, but she isn't like, she's completely unwilling to consider any other like possible scenario other than the one that she's decided is the truth. And that is her yeah. undoing. Well, uh, and I love control. it. Yeah. That's who yeah. she is. And and you know it's it's fantastic. It's it's always been how she's been defeated. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um. And you know, seeing Greer play off of that the same way that like Root played off of that works. It's it's great. Control is another great antagonist. Yeah. It, it's I. It's one of those things where it's like if you want like, especially with like such a monolithic antagonist as Samaritan having a deeply flawed one like control is very it's a lot of fun yeah 100 percent. i really like control as a villain because she is such a charismatic character yeah Mm -hmm. and she hits that nice sweet spot of on a spectrum of like characters you have like bad characters you have like you're sociopaths and you're like, you know, you're tr- chaotic evil over down over <laughs> here. And then you've got like, I'm gesticulating all over the place and you can't see that, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got your anti-heroes who are like the good guys, but with black trench coats and now and then they'll kill people. <laughs> John. Yeah. Well, not, no, John's on the yeah. other side of the line from anti-hero. He's a hero that just shoots people, but he's not an anti-hero. Uh, he, he start. He would started have been out, an anti-hero at the start. Yeah, he's he started out closer to the anti-hero archetype. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift is not writing so, of songs about John Reese. <laughs> I think this might be the thing that most offended Jude that I've ever said on this show. I I hate it. Meanwhile, I'll confess. I will confess my utter lack of Taylor Swift knowledge. Um, we'll work uh, on it. Uh, it is uh, surprisingly po- antihero is a great wrestling video song. It's a banger. <laughs> All she writes is bangers. In between, however, my point was that in between there, you have someone like Control, who's not a fucking like you know sociopath monster. She has believable 
goals and ideals and motivations, but she's still evil. She's not like an anti-hero where you can believe you can agree with what she's doing and why, or even like a vil, you know, a misguided person. She's not misguided. She knows what she's doing. She understands the consequences. She's just, you know, she's just making decisions that we, that you, the audience don't agree with. Uh, and I think it's a really, it makes for a really powerful character. Yeah. And, and having her face off against Greer is always fantastic. Yeah. Well, especially because she can't help but lose to Greer because part of the problem is she's lived her whole life, not her whole life, but she's, she's been under the machine and Samaritan's eye for so long that the, the Samaritan plays her like a fucking fiddle. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and not only that, she lets her, like, she basically lets herself get played because mm-hmm. like part of that playing her like a fiddle is knowing that she, she never looks for an alternate explanation to things. She always takes things at face value, essentially, and mm. that she's going to do exactly that here. Yep. Yep. What an episode. Yeah. Yep. Also, God, Godbo John was glorious. Oh, yeah. It, it's... We got it, you know, it's been a while since we got it, but yeah, no, it was great. Especially yeah. when he, like, steps out, you know, when they're under under siege by Samaritan, he steps mm-hmm. steps out and, you know, is just, like, tosses a couple of smoke arms and then it's just, like, cut the lights and just, like, goes entirely... The, the, the like, CGI, like, real-time strategy... Yeah, like multi, like technical, like like it's like oh yeah, this is like a this is like a fun war game. <laughs> it's, yeah, and like you know he he's there he's there using the cheat codes. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. And then and then uh, you like auto aim, no scoper or whatever the I don't know, I I don't play Counter Strike. I don't know the lingo, but he, he's using an aimbot. There you go. <laughs> There we go. One of one of uh, one of us has to has to be in the twenty first century. <laughs> so, any final thoughts for this episode? And then we'll go into like season wrap up. That that hidden phone in the wall was fantastic. Oh yeah, it's yeah, so that's good. That's fucking cool. It's just, it's just like, cool. Just the, like where is that ringing coming from? Sledgehammer. Wait, there's a phone. It's so wild. Just like wait. It's been here this entire time. It makes me. It makes me wonder whether the machine knew that was there the whole time, and like was like, ah, that is a bonus. There's this additional thing that will come handy later, perhaps. It's a secret thing that'll help us later. (laughs) You got a Taylor Swift and a Kingdom Hearts reference for me in this episode. I. We don't have time. For me to talk about how much I hate Kingdom Hearts in this. Well, let's not then. Let's talk about what we thought of season four. Anna? It was a heck of a season. Um, mm-hmm. I think I would have liked to have fewer fewer of the like random filler episodes, perhaps. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that I didn't enjoy them, per se, but I felt like the ratio was a bit off. It felt like the... I I know that they're like supposed to be... Yeah, with the vibe of like everybody is like under siege essentially, but it feels like for the majority majority of the season, like there's no sense that Harold or Root or the machine are making any form of like plan other than Harold's plan, which is then 
destroyed by root um mm-hmm. that like it felt team machine felt a little bit aimless in a way that i feel like doesn't necessarily make the best tv um yeah that like i i i think it's probably pretty realistic that they're in survival mode for the season um but like it's kind of frustrating to see them just like jump from just barely surviving to just barely surviving to just barely surviving with like no broader no broader like vision yeah they're floundering yeah yeah exactly um and like you only you learn we learn later that there were that there were some plans etc but like you know it would have been nice for the audience to be involved in those (laughs) yeah that way we could get excited about them and and then like you know the root trashing Harold's plan would feel so much more you know, impactful. Would feel way more hard hitting because then it would be something that we've been watching all along and getting invested in, other than something that was like set up in a C plot and then you know yeah, etc. That's that's my that's my vibe on it. It's like overall positive, but I wish that they weren't. I, I think it's realistic that they were floundering, but it also doesn't necessarily make for the most the best watching. Realism does not particularly does not always make for good television. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and like especially especially with like I can see where I can see where like we've got the theme of the the machine doesn't know how to win. Um, but I feel like Harold and Root, if they work together, could. L- could figure out a way to win and then teach the machine. Mm-hmm. And that's never, that never happens. Is that, is that, uh, do you want to make that a prediction for season five? Sure. I'll make that a prediction. That, that Harold and Root teach the, teach the machine. They have to learn, they have to work together to teach the machine how to win. Sure. I'll make that a prediction. It'll be like, it'll be like, it'll be like a kid sports movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it'll be like, like Ted Lasso. Is- yeah. <laughs> You want to make any other predictions for season five? Uh, for the last thirteen episodes of the show, I think that that I think that the it's going to be a fucking bloodbath for the characters. I'm surprised that so many people survived the end of season four, but I guess that makes sense. But I think that season five is going to like like I I don't think that my predictions are Finch will survive, Shaw will survive. Fusco will survive. Everybody else is dead. Okay. Um, other other predictions. So I I'm still I'm still going to have I'm going to keep my prediction that at some point the uh, at some point Samaritan is going to th- think that Greer is a threat for some reason. Um, I will keep I will keep that that prediction. Um, it didn't ha- it didn't happen in season four, but you know we've, we've still got we've still got a few episodes. I listen. I, I know I know about doubling down. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that you know uh, Kara is definitely still alive. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come uh, come back and turn out to be the final villain all along. Um, what a fucking no. <laughs> wild plot twist that would be! <laughs> oh God, that would be like. That'd be fucking straight out of like how I met your mother or something in terms of ways to end a show. 
Yeah, right. Um, um, yeah, any – trying to think of other – Where other, do you – how do you think the show – like, what do you think will be the end state of the world in the show? Okay. I think that one of the AIs is going to eat the other. Interesting. That either Samaritan is going to eat the machine and learn to be good or – the machine is going to eat Samaritan and fucking question marks. <laughs> oh, um, cool. That that's my I'm I'm going for the I'm going for the the synergy ending. All right, cool. Uh well, it is time. We only have one season of person of interest left. Which is actually only 13 episodes, so it's almost like half a season. So we should let you know before we real Reveal our series. Okay. Do you know how hard it was to find a show that Jude hadn't watched? I watch a little bit of TV. <laughs> um, like, what? how hard it was to find a show that, like, me and Anna had watched that Jude hadn't. And it wasn't that leverage. That, that also that fit our, yeah. our yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, I was like, I was like, seriously, at one point, I'm like, we're just going to have to brick the format of the show and do something. Like, we're going to have to change how the format of the show works or something. Um, but then something came up out of conversation that was honestly very surprising, and it made a lot of sense. It just requires us to make ourselves liars. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because it means we can send Aaron back into the archives to find every time. We said it to prove that we're liars. Yeah. <laughs> so without further ado, season three of the Babylon Project will be... Wait, sorry. Hold on. Wrong audio cue. Our next series is going to be. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. We are going to be doing Star Trek D Space Nine. We are, it appears, in fact, a Star Trek podcast. We, 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 it's, we're putting on the cloud makeup now. Honestly, it just sort of feels right. Yeah. We did, we did a whole season of fucking Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And we, the whole time we claimed that we were not a Star Trek podcast. Uh, But yes, there is a certain perfect symmetry to doing Deep Space Nine after doing Babylon 5. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, who knows? I mean, once, once the B5 remake comes out, we might shuffle around the schedule. We'll see what happens. But until you until Hollywood, you know, figures out a situation where the Writers Guild does not strike and that a studio decides that it actually wants to pick up on this B5 remake, you know... We're not exactly in a holding pattern, but we're finding new stuff to do. Yeah. I'm really actually excited about it. I watched TNG yeah. religiously as a child, um, but I only watched bits and pieces of DS9 uh, uh, growing up. So I, I have mm-hmm. no coherent memories of DS9 other than like 
There's a wormhole. Uh, yeah, and that's I it. Think, I know. I know. Worf showed up at one point. Okay. Okay. Um, what else do I know about DS9? Uh, I know about Quark. I know that there's a. Uh, I know that there's. They finally admit that holodecks are for fucking. Yep. And thanks to my association with Justin, I know that uh, Bashir and uh, one of the just Garrick, Garrick. plain simple Garrick. Uh, yes, I know that Bashir and Garrick have some gay stuff that I need to pay attention to. Yes, some, but some, some. But that's, I mean, uh, oh, and I know, I know a fair bit about Dax because that there was a a really interesting article that came up about like Dax and trans uh, awareness a couple of years ago. But like, almost everything I know about that show is like adjacent. To so you know like the memes, but not the actual show. Yeah, good way. Of, I know the memes, or like, yeah, the 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 bits of it that sort of have carried out, but not. I never sat down and watched the whole show. Well, this will, this will be good. We're even going to watch the episodes that we usually skip. Yeah, yeah this is which gonna aren't be a, that many in Deep Space Nine. I think there might be like it, like we all we're all getting the beef. We're all getting the B five one. Uh, uh, like everybody has the. The lever they can pull off. Wait, no, this episode is like like heinous, or I just cannot deal with that. We're not but doing Melora. I think I the <laughs> or are the we one doing Melora? We so I think the thing that that we are, have all decided is that we want to do more guests. Um, yes. because Star Trek has a much broader audience than a random CBS procedural from the mid tens. Um, <laughs> and so I think you know. If we can, you know, it's it's one of those things of finding, I think if we can find good people to maybe bring interesting voices in and like maybe not talk, maybe not find a way to love episodes like Melora, but, you know, find interesting things to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you for approximately the next seven weeks, you'll be getting person of interest and then we will be a Star Trek podcast. But until next time, we are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> Bringing a little culture to our uh, decrepit, depraved, horny podcast here. I mean, culture is. I mean, we talk about belt. We talk about the Hague a lot. That's in Europe. <laughs> I don't think talking about war crimes is the same thing as being cultured. And we're discussing the finer points of the law. We talk about food all the time. It just happens to be Baja Blast. Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, it just happens to be garbage.